Good morning, guys. How y'all doing? Fantastic. I tell you, there's a lot of stuff I want to just kind of bring you guys' attention to. First, it wasn't that so cool about seeing Josh and his son, Sean, get baptized. That is so awesome. That stuff, right? we need to clap for that one. I'm just saying, because God is good. God is moving, and he continues to move, and it just stuff like that just excites me. Uh, and I, it's our hope and prayer that this is your first time with us that you would be able to come to know Jesus Christ as well because he really does change lives. So I just want to give a huge shout-out to, to Josh and Sean. What's so cool, they got baptized one week, and the next week they immediately started serving. And uh, they, they actually get here about 6 o'clock every morning to be able to help set up. So um, just really a huge kudos to, to Josh and Sean. Also, for those who uh, – how many of y'all came to the Trunk or Treat last Sunday? Let me see your hands. Very good. Let me tell you, we had the most amazing turnout that we've ever had in the history of one church, any type of outreach stuff. We had over a 1,000 people actually show up through Trunk or Treat. So if you guys helped out, if you came, if you donated candy, let's give each other a round of applause, can you? Because you guys... You guys are rock stars, and I really, I want to say thank you so very much. So, well, we're starting a series called Elementary, and uh, the reason why we're starting this series is because, just to give you a heads up, we are less than seven weeks away from Christmas, right? Now, some of you, there's one or two people in the room, right? There's some of you that have already been listening to Christmas carols. Let me hear you. Shout out. Shout it out. I'm that person. Right, I go to the Cracker Barrel in September, and I love the Christmas decorations. I just do. All right, so I was listening to Christmas music on the way here. So, because when it starts getting cold, I saw some of you guys' Facebook posts. Right, I think it was Cheryl Max. She was saying, you know, she was camping out. She was listening to Christmas songs because it was cold, and that's how I am. When it starts getting cold, it could be July. If it gets cold, Christmas music is on my iPod. All right, but for others of you. You got that lump in your throat. And, and in fact, I even heard the moans. How many of y'all, you moaned? All right, cool. And here's the reason, probably the reason why you moaned. is because you're like, either number one, you don't like Christmas, and that means you don't like Jesus. That's probably not anybody in this room, all right? But really, you, you're thinking, oh, man, the holidays are coming upon us, and there's so much to do, Right? And, there's so, and for some of us, the holidays, it's just kind of a bummer time because maybe you lost someone or something like that. For others, it's just it's financial. It's financial pressures. Um, and, and I totally get that. In fact, one of the things that we do every November here at One Church is we do a financial series. And that's what we're doing this November because right before Christmas comes, so many of us, especially around like Thanksgiving and Black Thursday or Black Friday, or Black Saturday. I mean, who knows? I mean, you can pretty much always shop now. It's crazy. So, um, I mean, we will absolutely blow our bank, and we will freak out, and we will end up paying for financial mistakes that we made in November. We'll be, we'll pay for it in January, in February, in March, and really all through next year. In fact, some of you, you're still paying financial mistakes on a credit card that you made last Black Friday. So one of the things that we're wanting to do is we're not just wanting something from you. We're really wanting something for you. And one of the things that we're doing, the reason why we're doing this series is called Elementary because um, it's really kind of simple. It's not rocket surgery, right, as President George Bush says. It's not rocket surgery, right? It can be very simple. 
But even though it's very simple truths, sometimes it can be very, very hard to do. (laughs) All right, thank you, text message person. All right, so we are, um, everything I'm going to share with you today is based off a book entitled The ABCs of Financial Freedom. It's a New York Times bestseller, and it's helped literally tens of thousands of people experience financial freedom. Freedom from debt, freedom from worry about money or fear about money, freedom to make wise choices and to make a difference, uh, freedom to be generous. And uh, again, we're calling this series elementary because even though it's going to be very simple what we're going to be talking about, sometimes it's the simple things that's difficult. Now, what, what we're going to be doing over the next three weeks is ABCs, all right? Uh, we're we're going to have to do that Jackson 5 song. I don't know where Tucker or Lardis Apple's at. ABC. One, two, three. All right, good, good. All right, go. But the first one, A, stands for attitude. Attitude. In fact, that's what we're going to be talking about today, that what is your attitude towards God, money, and generosity? Because your attitude will determine your altitude. There's no other way around it. One of the things that I have heard and I've seen in my lifetime of 43 years worth of living is the most important thing that you can have in your life isn't even talent. It's attitude and having a right attitude. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, having a right attitude about money. Next week is going to be B, and that's bondage. Bondage. How do we free ourselves from the bondage of debt? How many of you, let me see your hands, you would like to have no debt? That should be everybody, right? All right, cool. A C is choice, and that's going to be week three. That we, Our most important choice we need to make when it comes to our money, when it comes to finding financial freedom, and when it comes to fueling Jesus' mission. And to get things started, I thought I would just throw a verse out from the Bible. It's kind of the verse that really sums up this entire series. Because especially today, we're going to be looking at some truths today financially that some of you are going to, I don't think that's right. But it's exactly right. And then others of you, you're going to be thinking, you know what? This is what I believe about money. This is what I was taught to be true. And one of the things you're going to be surprised at is what you were taught to be true was actually a lie. Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There is a way that appears to be right. But in the end, it leads to what? It leads to death. Think about that in light of our attitudes towards money and generosity. That there's a way that appears right, but it actually leads to death. In fact, here's our big idea today, and here's where we're going to be going. The right attitude is knowing that God, what? Owns it all, and we invite God into our finances by realizing that we are managers, not owners. How many of y'all have ever actually rented a piece of property or rented a house? Let me see your hands. All right? Here's the good thing about that. Some of you are like, yeah, I don't know. I'd rather own something. And I totally get that. I totally get that. But here's the thing. When you rent something, when something breaks, what do you do? You call the owner. Exactly right. You see, you could take money out of your pocket and you could fix it, couldn't you? You could. It'd be dumb, but you could. Because, see, you don't own it, and because you don't own it, Actually, somebody else owns it. It's their responsibility to fix it. Now, when you own something, if it breaks, you fix it. 
And I'll tell you, this is how we do life. You see, when we just keep that big idea up there, if you will, that last big idea. We invite God into our finances when we treat God as an owner and we are managers. That really is it. You see, here's the thing. If we act like we own it, then when something breaks, then guess who has to fix it? You and me. But when we act like God owns it, in fact, he does own it, and that's really what we're going to be uncovering and peeling back today. Since he owns it, when something breaks in your finances, in your world, guess whose responsibility and guess who it's on to fix it? God. Absolutely, because he is the owner, and how we invite God into our finances is to act, realize that we are managers and not owners. Listen to what David said. David, the king of Israel, in fact, he was really the best king in all of Israel. This is what David said in First Chronicles 29, verse 10. Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. What's that next word? Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. Now stop right here. David is the king. He's got this. Some people would say he earned it. That's not what David would say. He said, no, even though I am the king, this is your kingdom, O God. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from who? You alone, for you rule over everything. Y'all say everything with me. Y'all need to say it like I'm saying it, everything. Thank you very much. All right. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. Oh, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything, y'all say it. Everything we have has come where? From you, and we give you only what you first gave us. That right there, if you understand those verses, it really will transform how you see money and how you see your stuff. And you'll realize it's not your stuff. And it's not your money. It's God's. And we are just managers. If we're going to achieve financial freedom in your own personal life, in your business, and your family, we have to change our attitude towards money. But unfortunately, most of us have been taught the wrong things about money. There are attitudes that the majority of the people in America, heck, there are attitudes that the majority of the people in this room have about money and generosity, which at first glance, these attitudes appear to be right, just like the scripture says. But sadly, these attitudes can lead to death and destruction to our finances and our generosity. Let me take, let's take an attitude test, all right? Six prevailing attitudes among Americans from right where you're at. Keep track and see how many of these attitudes you subscribe to. Okay, y'all ready? First one, as long as I'm making monthly payments, I don't have a problem with finances. As long as I can fill up the tank with gas, I'm not having a problem with finances. As long as I have money to go out to eat, I'm not having a problem with finances. 
As long as I have money to go to a movie, I don't have a problem with finances. As long as I have money to get my hair and nails done, I don't have a problem with finances. As long as I can indulge myself from time to time, I don't have a problem with finances. How many of y'all, you did at least one of those? All right, thank you for being honest, right? In fact, some of us, you'd go, you know, some of you guys, you'd go, I've done all six. And you worry about your nails. I, I get that. I get that. Nail health is huge, right? But see, one of those things, we think that way, that just because we're making our monthly payments, then everything's okay. But it's not okay. And maybe this sounds extreme to you, but just like the alcoholic or the drug addict, they proclaim with confidence, I really don't have a problem, but everybody else realizes you've got a problem. You do. So let me show you, share with you three lies that sound like truths. There are three lies that we tell ourselves about money that really sound like truth, but they're really lies. Here's the first one. The first one is this. Money and material things can satisfy me. You see, that's what we see advertising all the time, right? That's what we see people, when, when, when we see television, we see that if you use this next thing, everybody's smiling. Everybody's happy, Right? You never do see anybody purchase anything, and it's, and it's like, this was awful. You, they never do portray that, right? It's like this. My kids, every time Christmas comes in, they have all of these commercials with, you know, the kids playing with toys. And, they, you know, you get your toy, you get this one little car, and they've made this entire backdrop, right? And my kids think if you get this little thing, you're going to get this entire backdrop. And they're going to like, oh, I can't wait. And I'm like, this is junk, Right? But see, what they're portraying is if you get this Nerf gun, if you get this Hot Wheels, if you get um, uh, whatever, then you're going to be happy. But nothing that you can purchase will ever satisfy you. All right? We know in our heads that's a lie as adults, but yet we live and act like this is the truth all the time. You ever tell yourself this? If I could just get rid of this new car for a newer one, one with heated seats, then I'll be satisfied. Or what about this one? If I could just get rid of this old purse and buy one like my friend has, then I'll be satisfied. Y'all are giggling over there. All right? If I could just get a patio or fence around my house or maybe some landscaping, then I'd be satisfied. All right? If I could just take a vacation like everyone else, then I will be satisfied. But listen to what King Solomon the wisest person who ever lived, and one of the richest people who ever lived. Listen to what he says about this. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Everyone, excuse me, whoever loves money never has what? Enough. Whoever loves wealth is never what? Satisfied with their income. In fact, if I asked the question, how many of y'all are satisfied with your income? Probably no one would raise their hands, right? We just, we just wouldn't, right? Now, let me, let's look at the lie, too. Here's the, the second lie. It's my money, and I can do whatever I want with it. That's what I've heard people say. And in fact, that's what I've said many times. It's my money, and I can do whatever I want with my money. I've heard, I've, I've said it, my friends said it, my kids said it. My, my, I mean, I've heard a lot of people say it. But I hear it the most when someone is looking to justify something that they want, either for themselves or for their children, and at the expense of being generous towards other people or towards God. 
They say, you know what? I work hard for my money. Bump, 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 bump. So hard for my money. I should be able to buy or get whatever I want for my kids. But the truth is, everything that we have is from God and it comes from God, and we are simply managers. We're simply stewards. In fact, so many times we throw out those words managers and stewards, and they're kind of a weird word. Let me give you another one, a custodian. We're just custodians. See, a custodian can come and clean, and they can manage, and they can take care of it, but they don't own it. Check, check this out. This is what the Bible says. Psalm 24.1, the same person, David, who wrote earlier, he wrote this psalm as well. The earth is the Lord's, and what? everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The truth is, everything we have comes from God, and we are simply managers of it. Everything we have is temporary, is on temporary loan from God. And it's our privilege. It's not our entitlement. It's our privilege to be faithful managers of the money and the material things that God has given us from the time we possess them until the time that we're gone. So the first, first lie we tell ourselves is this. Money and material, material things will make me happy. They'll satisfy me. The second one, it's my money and I can do whatever I want with it. And the third, and I hear this all the time. Here it is. All the church talks about is, you see, some of you, the reason why you're here today and you kind of bounced out of church years ago is you believe that God and the church were only after your wallet. How many times have you heard that before? I have, that all the church talks about is money. But if you think about it, that's not true. In fact, one of the things that I hate most, and I'll be honest with you, is talking about money. Because I, we, we create a church for people who don't go to church, and they bounce out of church because they think this. And I, I used to not want to talk about money at all. But here's one of the things I've learned. There's a verse in the Bible that, that we as pastors and teachers should rightly handle the word of truth. And if I never do talk about money, then I am not rightly handling the word of truth. Because the reality is that the church doesn't talk about money or how to manage money enough. And that's one of the biggest reasons why many of us were in such a mess when it comes to our money. The fact is, Christians are often as poor money managers as everyone else in the world. Even though we ought to be the best. We need to change that. We need to change our attitude. We need to talk about this. In fact, listen to this. I love this because this whole idea that I believe that Jesus talked more about money management and when it comes to spiritual maturity than many other things. Let me give you some statistics. Jesus had to say this about the subject. The Bible has 500 verses on the subject of prayer. Jesus spoke 500 verses on the subject of faith. You know how many verses he spoke about money? A thousand. And of the 38 parables, what a parable is, is a story with a point. Of the 38, 16 deal with the subject of our bling and our money. Jesus told his followers this in Matthew 6, or 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's talking about our attitudes. He's saying, get your money in the right place, and when your money is in the right place, your attitude and your heart about money will be in the right place. But sadly, Christ followers struggle with money management just like everybody else. Let me tell you, tomorrow at 2 o'clock, our church is closing 
on land that we purchased. In fact, that's awesome. Let me kind of show you this. Here is the picture. Here's the picture of 4.86 acres uh, that, God willing, we are going to close on tomorrow. It's right beside Sonic, right across from Burger King, real close to McDonald's. So if you're a fast food nut, welcome to one church, right? Anyway, <clears throat> but here's the thing about this. As I was talking to a, a church growth expert, a good friend of mine named David Putnam, and you guys will be hearing more of his name in the future, he actually came down in May and uh, just and just for free, just, I mean, he, he was just a he just sat down and says, "I'd like to spend four or five hours with you and your staff," and he did. And we were talking about like different locations, possibly one to go to, and we showed him some of these locations. And let me tell you a, a current statistic about our church. All right, right now we're averaging eight hundred and forty-six people at one church right now. Our monthly offering is about thirty-three thousand a month. So. If you take the 846, divide that into 33,000, and divide that for about four weeks, the average person gives about $9.31 per person per week. Now, one of the things that David said is a brand new church that's about six months old has giving around $9. We're a church of seven years old. Let me share with you what our next steps are with, these land, with this land that you see. One of the things that we're going to need to do is one of our goals is we need to pay this land off as quickly as possible. And that's our goal, that we're going to pay this off so that we can start breaking ground and building a building. Now, in order to do this, we're gonna, it's about $650,000 that we're going to need to pay down. And that just sounds like, does anybody else sound like that's a big chunk of money? It is for me, all right? Um, I'll tell you this, our average income annually is 400000 So this is 650000 right? Which is really cheap for land in this area, but again, it, that's a lot of money to me. But this is one, one of the things that David shared with me. He says, if your people less than doubled what they gave per person per week, if they move from $9 to $16 per person per week, then the land that you guys bought will be paid off in two years. We have it on, a, I think, a 15-year note, I think, is what we're going to do. But we're going to try, our goal is to pay this off in two years or less. And that sounds big and scary to me. But if you just do some elementary math here, if you just, get, if you just bump your giving from 9 to $16 per person per week, then that is, this will be paid off. I'll tell you, I've never done this before, but I'll tell you what I give. My wife and I give, we give over 10%, um, and it's not to give us glory or anything like that. We just struggle with tithing for so long, we just feel like we're paying, playing catch-up. So um, we're paying about $22 per person per week at one church. And I really do believe that if all of us, if we got on board, and, and look at this, the average... The average traditional church is about $20 a week. So I'm not even asking you to be average. I'm asking you to be below average, right? So, you, I mean, you ain't, I mean, some of you are like, how many of y'all are below average? Anyone? Thank you, all right? Some of you are like, I'm better than that. Okay, give more. I'm just saying, all right? But all I'm saying is you don't even have to get crazy with it. But let me tell you, God wants to do some things in you and through you that if you just opened up 
your finances to God, and you would invite him to get involved, you would see some amazing things happen in your life, in your life. I got a couple of other pastor friends. I won't tell you where the church is. Uh, very similar to ours here in town, about the same size. Um, I went canoeing with some of them, and they were, you know, pastors always talk about attendance and money, and because we got no anything else better to do. And this one guy, he says, "So you know, what are you running?" And I told him. He says, "Well, what's your budget?" And I told him, and he's laughed. I'm like, "Excuse me," and uh, they're running about what we're running. And he says, man, we're almost at $2 million a year. And I'm like, give me some of your people, right? Just like, whatever. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about this. When we get serious, when we get serious about what God wants to do in us and through us, when we invite God into our finances, let me tell you what you're going to see. There's stuff is still going to go wrong. It will. You're, you're, you're still going to have a radiator blow up. You will. But when you've invited God into your finances by you saying, I'm not, I don't own it, God owns it. And here's the reason why. is because I give back to God what he's already given me. It's God's problem. It's God's problem. Now, let me share with you three truths that sound like lies, all right? So three truths that sound like lies. We, lo- we just looked at, at three lies that sound like truths. Let's reverse that. The first truth that sounds like a lie God is the one who determines how much I earn. God is the one who determines how much I earn. Let that sink in. Because again, this is truth. But if you're going to think to yourself, this can't be true. I determine how much money I make. I determine, or my education determines how much money I make. Or in some cases, the stock market determines how much money I make. But let, look, at what, look at what God says in this. Deuteronomy 8. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. That's a bad attitude, but look at this. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you what? The ability to produce wealth. Oftentimes, I got three boys, and oftentimes they ask me, hey, Dad, how much money you make? Anybody, any of your kids ever ask you that? How much, you make, how much money you make? And if, if you tell them $50, they go, wow, right? I've never told them that, right? Because here's the reason why I never want them to put their trust in money. One of the things I usually, when they ask that question, I'll say, well, I make enough. I make enough. I make enough money. Which, of course, frustrates them because they want something a little bit more concrete. I think after preparing for this message, I think about seriously changing my answer. Because I'm thinking about just saying, boys, I make exactly what God determines for me to make. And I do. Go ahead. In fact, Turn to the person next to you and say this. I make what God wants me to make. Some of you are like, God needs me to make more. All right, all right. Keep, listen to what? This is what Jesus says. Jesus said this. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. We need to change our attitude. God is the one who provides for me, not me, but not my employer, not my hard work or my brilliance or creativity or education. Therefore, I'm going to put God first. Here's the second truth that sounds like a lie. God gives and takes away. God has the power to not only determine my income, but he has the power to take it away. And again, if you're new on this spiritual journey or maybe all too, not all too familiar with the Bible... 
This truth might be hard to believe, but I tell you, it doesn't make it any less true. God does give, and God does take away, and potentially in the direct proportion to my obedience or disobedience regarding the money and the material things that he has given me. There's a story in the Old Testament found in Daniel chapter 4. I'm not going to ask you to turn there because we're getting ready to watch a uh, clip of it from the Bible miniseries. Anybody see that when it came on? All right, the Bible miniseries. It's, it's a clip of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. Let me tell you a little bit about Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, and he's going around, and he is the most powerful person in the world at that time. And he's going around, and he's surveying all the wealth and all the money and all the power in his kingdom. And he is gloating in his royal glory, and he's revealing just his majestic power. But instantly, God... He's disposed by an act of God. In fact, the Bible says that God humbles the proud. He totally does that. And God cursed King Nebuchadnezzar with some kind of psychotic break that sent him running for the wilderness and started howling at the moon like a wild animal. And again, if you watch the Bible series, they did a great way portraying of this. Y'all watch this. Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king and lowliest man on God's earth. See, where your pride has brought you and us. You could have set us free. Now we are as trapped as you. God took it all away from him. The power, the prestige, the money, all of the material things, God took it all away and he became crazy, Nebuchadnezzar did. Why? Because his heart, his attitude was unrighteous. And it was just flat out wrong before Almighty God. So I need to change my attitude. I don't need to worry about the economy or the stock market as much as I need to focus on living my life with the right priorities and the right manner that honors God obedience. And here's the third truth. The third truth This is going to sound like a lie, and here it is. Giving to God is the first way out of my financial problems. It doesn't sound true, but it is. Because listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. This is what Jesus says. Give, and you will what? Receive. Your gift will return to you in what? Full. Press down, Shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now, for some of you who've kind of you got your antennas up right now because this is starting to sound like you know like a TV preacher 
that if you just give, then you're going to get exactly money back. That's not what this is, but that is what Jesus said. So we can't just totally take that out of the Bible. Jesus did say, the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. And that's Jesus talking. That's a promise from Jesus. The first thing many people do when they have financial problems is they stop giving to God. The problem is that God is using your standard of measurement, what you give to God, to determine how much blessings he's going to give back to you. The wisest person who ever lived, Solomon, says this about being generous. Give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. All right? Sadly, again, the first people, first thing that many people do when times get tight and there's too much month at the end of their money is they stop giving. They see giving to God as a discretionary expense. And so when times get tough, they cut off the most important part of the equation. They cut out the blessing of God. Instead of cutting out their cable or their internet or reducing their cell plan or eating out less, whatever, they cut off the wellspring of God's blessing when they stop giving. Because when you give to God, it proms the pump for getting God into your finances. In fact, I was scouring the internet preparing for this message a couple of weeks ago, and I came across a true story. This is going to sound like a preacher story, but it's a true story of travelers who were moving from the great dust bowl of the Midwest to California during the Great Depression, hoping for a better life. In fact, here's a pic. I'm going to show you this. The following letter was found in a baking powder can wired to a handle of an old pump that offered the only hope of drinking water on a very long and seldom used road across Nevada's Amargosa Desert. The note on the water pump said this, the pump is all right as of June of 1932. I put a new sucker washer into it, and it ought to last for five years. But the washer dries out, and the pump needs to be primed. Under the white rock, I buried a bottle of water out in the sun. There's enough water out of the sun. There's enough water in it to prime the pump, but not if you drink some first. Pour about one-fourth in and let her soak enough to, to wet the leather. Then pour the rest medium fast and pump like crazy. You'll get water, I promise. The well has never run dry. Have faith, and when you, get wa- when you get it watered up, fill the water bottle and put it back like you found it for the next feller. Prime the pump, and you'll get all the water you can hold. Sadly, in attempt to meet our immediate needs, we rob ourselves of the provision of all of our needs. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says this. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows what? Generously will also reap generously. God is the one who owns it all and distributes it all. Remember, the right attitude is knowing that God owns it all and we invite God into our finances by realizing that we are managers, not owners. Our giving primes the pump for our receiving. Again, I know it sounds like a lie, but it's the truth. Ask anyone who's worked their way out of financial problems, and they'll tell you giving to God is the first way out of a financial problem. But even if you're not experiencing a financial problem, per se, giving to God is the only way I know to keep my attitude about money and possessions in check. 
King Nebuchadnezzar learned the hard way. He thought all of it was his, and he earned all of this power and all of this might, and yet God took it all away. For seven years, God humbled King Nebuchadnezzar. But check this out. After seven years of being humbled and destitute, listen to what King Nebuchadnezzar wrote. Chapter 4, verse 34. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned to me. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Quick question. How many of you want some financial restoration? Okay. You see, he's saying, he's used the word restored in here three times. I'm going to keep on going. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. That's, that's God. Because, what's that next word? Everything he does is right, and all of his ways are just. It's a powerful story of a man whose attitude towards money and possessions was transformed. The right attitude is knowing that God owns it all. We invite God into our finances when we realize that we are managers, not owners. So i got a couple of challenges for you today. The first one is this. I would encourage you, for the next three weeks, don't miss. Next, next Sunday, we're going to be talking about debt and how to get out of debt. And then the week after that, we're going to be talking about choices. But I want, my goal is for you to, be, to begin to trust God with your finances, and to begin to faithfully and systematically and generously give to God. And hear you, I believe that when you do, you're going to see some amazing things happen in your life. Why? Because a preacher has told you? Not at all. Because God's Word and Jesus has said, give. And in the manner that you give, you will get back. Let me also give you another challenge is this. Before I start answering questions, yeah, we have Financial Peace University. How many of y'all been through Financial Peace? All right, many of you, all right? How many of y'all, you thought it was good? All right, how many of you are better off financially now than you were before? Look at, keep your hands up. Look around, guys. We're going to be doing a Financial Peace class January the 25th. Now, some of you are going, January? Remember, it's November, all right? 2014 is almost over right? So you may think it's like a long way in the future. It's not. In fact, here in the next weeks, we're going to be actually sharing people's stories of what God has done once they went through Financial Peace University. But I would encourage you that today, go ahead and mark your calendars for that. January the 25th, and it's on Sunday morning, all right? Now, a couple of questions. When it comes to tithing, should, uh, should that be the first money you give on payday? And the answer is yes. In fact, let me tell you, and if it, here's one of the things I'd encourage you to do. You can go on and you can Google, but just Google first fruits. Because all throughout the Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, God says over and over, I want you to give first to me. It, it's a way that we make him priority, that we put him number one at the list. I'll tell you, I get paid the first and the 15th. And one of the things that, you know, how I'm able to be consistent in my giving right now, and my wife and I have been consistent over the past seven years, is we do online giving. I've not had a checkbook since 2001, all right? So if my being faithful and giving to God is based on me writing a check, 
it will never happen, right? In fact, one of the reasons why well, we have a giving kiosk that you can swipe your check card for those people because most of us don't have a check, and it's right out there. But here's the thing that we do. I get paid in the 1st and the 15th, and I've set up Secure Give to do uh, our tithe and our offerings that we'll do it usually on the 3rd and the 17th just so that our check, we know it clears, and then it comes right off. And you know what? We don't even miss it. We really, really don't. So that's how we've set that up. And if you, have any, if you have any questions about how to set up like online giving, as you're leaving today, we have two tables in the back. They have these red baskets on it. And on there, one of them is a tithe challenge. But if you flip it over, it talks about how to set up your online giving. And it's very, very helpful. You choose your username and password. We don't have that. You choose how much you want. You can end it at any time. And you can choose when and how often it comes out. So great question. Thank you so much. All right, next one. Uh, why does it seem that the most unethical and bad people continuously seem to do better financially and materialistically while some of the best-hearted ethical people continue to struggle? Answer, I don't know. I don't know. I, here's what I do know about this. I, I say, I, we, you know, you say that, you know, it happens that way all the time. I think a lot of times what goes around does come around. That if you can, if that's what the Bible says, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. And I think we've seen a, a lot of the bubble uh, burst on the, on the stock market and some of the banking things about some of these people who are doing some unethical business practices and it just kind of bursts for them. There are other people who you just kind of see that like, man, they're kind of really jacked up when it comes to their money and it doesn't seem like it's, it's bursting for them. And all I would say is, you know what? Wait. Wait, because my Bible says in Romans that vengeance is mine, says the Lord, that we don't have to try to get back. We don't have to. God, he will judge. And, and, and he is kind of the one who kind of makes all things plain. And I would say this, if you're struggling financially, honor God and wait. Because if you honor him, he will honor you. He will honor you. All right? He will help you. And, I, and, and it may be financially, it may be in other ways. I don't know how that looks. I can tell you in my life, we've had some stuff happen in our life that and as we continue to give to God that we're like, man, we just didn't even expect that. And God does some amazing things when you put him first. Let's see if i got any other questions. Again, thank you guys. Um, this person wrote, if I had a Snickers, I would be satisfied. Thanks for coming to One Church. All right. Hey, let me pray with you guys, and then we're going to watch this financial piece, a real short clip, and then uh, I don't know who's doing announcements. I'm sure somebody will come out. So anyway, let's pray. Lord, we love you, and I'm grateful for you, God. And Lord, um, Lord, I, Lord, just teaching about money always just kind of cinches me up a little bit because for two reasons. Number one, God, you know that I've not, this has not always been a, 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 an issue that, I, that I've been good at. And, Lord, I've struggled with for so many years. And, Lord, I'm, I'm grateful that, Lord, that you've given, us, you've given me some tools that, that just makes us better and allow it to be a little bit easier obeying you, God. And, Lord, I pray for those people in here today, Lord, who, just, who are just in bondage financially, God. Lord, I pray that you would help them through this. And, Lord, that, Lord, they would be able to prioritize you with their finances, Lord. And, Lord, the second reason I just struggle with this is I don't, ever want anybody to think that that's all we're after is their money. But Lord, what you're after is their heart. And Lord, your word says so clearly, 
Lord, where our treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Lord, I pray for all of our hearts, Lord, that our hearts would be with you. Lord, that they wouldn't be with Target or Walmart or Saks Fifth Avenue or the Apple Store, but Lord, that our heart would be solely devoted to you. We give you all the glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Y'all watch this video.